So I've been thinking about how much we all need this practice of spaciousness and groundedness. And really that expresses my reason for still being here after all these years. And there are many times when I feel discouraged or... um, tired, and whether it's um, an inner or outer discouragement, often it's the reflection about my child that keeps me going. So whether it's trouble at her school or it's um, something about my work here at Spirit Rock, and I ask the question, you know, what would I want to tell my child about how this went? <laughs> about how I, how I was choosing to respond to this situation. It changes sometimes, really changes how I manage because I, I couldn't bear to tell her that I gave up. <laughs> it's like the, the world that she's going to be inheriting is partly uh, partly but not completely up to me so I think about how it's our responsibility in a certain way to hold a space for our children and what we are practicing they are learning Um, in the sense that we are practicing awareness then they will they will learn that it's possible to live in an in an atmosphere of awareness. If we're practicing greed, anger, and delusion, then, of course, that is also what they will be learning. And I think the one of the, one of, there's always something from this retreat, the, the thing that I really have been noticing on this retreat, especially working or sitting with families and with families with bright, you know, aware, open children, is, is that it's both our responsibility and also ultimately our children are participating. And in some ways, uh, we were talking about this last night in the teen group, about how much they're also so, in some ways so far beyond us. Um, when you think about how, differently our, how different our lives are from our parents' lives, and how in this generation, this broad generation, there's probably two or three generations here, two or three decades of adults here in this, in this retreat, that how far we all are from our parents' generation in terms of the tools of um, the Dharma, the tools of psychological uh, awakening that are all that is available to us in this generation and all that's happened in the past even 10 or 20 years to transform the world and imagining how our children's world will be. Sometimes we worry, well, I'm not sure they're going to be okay in, in, the, in the world. But we actually don't even know what the world will be for them and what tools they'll need. 
Um, so it brings me back to the basic, the basic tools of awareness as a ground. They seem to adapt pretty fast to things like computers. And, and if they don't, they, they have ways to do that. They have support for that. But what is it that we have to offer them and what is it that we're passing on becomes my question. What's really important? And I often, I often think of this when my daughter and I have time together. Well, what would be the most important thing for me to do with her? And I realized that actually the answer is much more what would be the most important thing for me to be with her? That my being, present, being awake, is the gift. So whatever we're doing together, my being in that seems to be important. And my willingness to do my own work, I think, sometimes we wonder, what else can I do to help my child? And it often does seem to come down to um, doing our own inner transformation, working with our own demons, as opposed to being so focused over there on how they're doing, to, to really do the, the work of transforming and the kind of um, healing the wounds of the generations. That's in some ways the, the gift we can give our children whatever the generational wounds might be in your family or just in our culture. That's another place where the, the willingness to face my inner demons, my inner, my, my inner work becomes the gift that I give to my child. So... Um, We've been doing this family retreat for 11 years here at Spirit Rock. I think some of you were here, many of you were here for last year. We celebrated our 10th anniversary. And Ajahn Amro and Betsy and I have been here from the beginning, 11 years. Uh, Heather joined us uh, for the past seven or eight, eight years, I think. It's really been wonderful to see this retreat transform and stabilize and mature to the point where it's really like we're fine-tuning now. Um, so many ways things have become stabilized and, uh, and we have a framework that, um, that's very powerful and it's a gift to all of us who are able to, to learn from this retreat. And we're all here as learners Betsy and I have been here as parents. Some of you have seen us struggle through that reality of being on the spot to be offering something and at the same time having a child who's miserable <laughs> or distracting, distracted or not so present or um, running around. Um, just the presence of the children um, has been both the challenge and also the gift because it's kept us so honest. We both had to be pretty honest about our limits. So when I was, um, actually before Spirit Rock opened, I was asked to 
teach family retreats in our sister center in, East, in the East Coast in IMS for two or three years. I took my toddler <laughs> um, to the East Coast to teach family retreats. I knew nothing about parenting. But as soon as I was pregnant, they were signing me up for these things. <laughs> they heard I was pregnant and they started, you know, putting my name on lists um, to do family retreats. Um, and uh, um, so, you know, the things about parenting that are, are, are hard, that are challenging, as you put them into the context of, of spiritual practice, you start to notice that they're actually um, not so different from what might take someone to a monastery. I mean, you go to a monastery and change your whole life to become a monk so that someone will wake you up at four in the morning. <laughs> you know, you could have just had a kid. <laughs> so, um, you know, so one of the... The what? The diaper regime. The diaper regime is different. Um, so my job and Betsy's job has been to notice the, the inherently transformational opportunities in parenting and to just to name them and recognize them in any amount of time that we can, which is not all the time in any, by any means. But there's a kind of celebration in beginning to, uh, to become awake as we watch our children change. Um, and so, uh, you know, the the humor of you just really get to know this three-year-old and you get, oh, this is what three-year-olds do. And then, you know, you turn around and they're four. And four-year-olds do something, to, something else. And so that, that continually being set a little bit off balance and with your heart just broken open all the time, what else could be a better spiritual practice than this? And to have it named as a spiritual practice, I think, has been the most important thing for me about being um, sort of thrown into this role of, of, um, of being in the teacher role. And, um, you know, of course, that was my intention. I'd been practicing for 20 years when I had a child. And that was my, my beautiful intention was to, for this to become my spiritual practice. But of course, I immediately was overwhelmed <laughs> and didn't know how to do it. <laughs> when Sophie was five months old, I came to my first family day. This is one of those things that was scheduled way before my child was born. <laughs> um, with a lot of faith, somebody put me on the schedule for this. And um, luckily, Betsy and I had known each other pretty well. And through the whole process of of deciding to have a child and becoming, you know, trying to become pregnant. And so we kind of were on the same, uh, same uh, wavelength for a few years. So when I showed up for this um, with my five-month-old and Betsy uh, had Matthew, who was a year older than Sophie, she came up to me and said, in her Betsy way, how are you, Julie? And I just... <laughs> I was speechless. I, I was overwhelmed. I was sleep-deprived. I was really confused about what I was doing there and what I was supposed to do. And I was really, really um, not at all uh, feeling like someone who could leave a, lead a day for parents and families. Um, and Beth, I don't know what I said, but I know what Betsy said. She said, 
I know, when I, I had no idea until I had a child how angry I could be. <laughs> and I was like, Betsy Rose is angry? <laughs> Betsy Rose can be angry? I can be angry. Angry, that's what I am. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, nobody understands what it's like to have a young child. It's just, how could the world keep going the way it is? People keep having children, and then do they forget <laughs> how hard it is? I mean, the lack of support. The family's not there. The child, you know, it's just unbelievable to me. It was unbelievable. I was so angry. And, and it helped me to wake up to the reality that I needed help. And, um, you know, so I was really, as I thought about this and wanting to tell you that story, I was so grateful that that happened so early. Because I think it happened, I, as I sit with parents, and I think it also happens more than once, but I recognize it when I see someone who's just overwhelmed. It's like, I've been parenting for, I mean, how long have I been parenting? This is like my whole life. And, and I recognize the signs of someone who needs more help and needs to nourish themselves and to find the practices and the, the inner and outer supports to make it possible to be a parent with a certain amount of grace. Because it's really an impossible job if you don't have a spiritual practice of some kind, if you don't have a a supportive community, if you don't have intimate um, friends and partners and a family who can support you in some combination of those. So... um, It's just um, been an amazing experience to share this all these years. Such an intimate sharing that we have, whether it's in groups or individual meetings or just sitting together in the hall and getting to know each other's children. And um, So it's been, you know, I think 13, 14 years that I've been in a family retreat every year. So, um, so this brings me around to letting you know that I'm graduating this year. Um, after all these years, I'm going to be graduating, and we're going to be welcoming Gil uh, into our teaching team. Uh, Gil's one of the Spirit Rock senior teachers, and um, Gil and Tamara have been bringing their ch- children for a few years for uh, as participants in our retreat, and it's a, such a graceful way to enter the, the teaching team, to actually get a chance to be a participant without having to be sitting here, <laughs> which I never got an opportunity to do. That was um, not something that I had an opportunity to experience, to get a taste of this retreat and to feel what it means to people. I do feel what it means to me. and ha- As I reflect on it, it's been so important to my experience as a parent to be in the retreat and even though I've been sitting here, I've been a participant. And it, that's, um, that's a really challenging uh, experience, but it's also a really blessed experience. So tonight, uh, today is my, my last opportunity to, to share some reflections with you at the family retreat, even though I'll be doing other retreats as I, as I do at Spirit Rock.
Um, and uh, we'll be talking more about the transition to welcoming Gil, I think, tonight. Uh, but uh, so when I was thinking about the, the talk, um, what I wanted to say to you, and um, thinking about my favorite stories and the things that are important to me, um, I was happy to find out they actually fit with the theme. <laughs> Um, uh, so the theme of um, uh, the pairs of opposites, the first morning, the story about how um, liking and not liking, or the good news, bad news, the kind of the pair, the obvious pairs of opposites of, you know, how we respond to life, and the story suggested this reality that these. What seems like pairs of opposites are actually not so opposite. That they, that they, as the story went on, we noticed that um, what seemed like good news turned out to be bad news, or what seemed like bad news turned out to be good news, and that that flow back and forth um, was suggested in this very short story, which you may have heard before, you, you may not have, but it's it's a classic story about. Um, waking us up to that reality that we actually don't know and to get so attached and identified with what's happening in the moment with our children, with ourselves, with the unfolding of of our experience that solidifying and attaching becoming identified with this or that um, reaction becomes a source of suffering, becomes a source of struggle in our relationships in our family. And, and as I've sat with, with, uh, with people this week, it's been really poignant to me how much that is true, that when anyone becomes sort of fixed or we become sort of, uh, this is who I am and I am, you know, this is what I need, this is where I'm standing... Not to say that we shouldn't be clear and have boundaries at times, but that there is a way of fixedness that we can get into, and, in, and our children also, that is very hard to know how to meet. It seems that going back to that, that sense of, of having enough spaciousness, grounding and spaciousness, to include even these seemingly opposites, this, what seems to be an opposition in our families, if we can f- back up or open up enough to see that there's a place that holds both, even this, that can hold even this. So as adults, we are responsible for either doing that ourselves or finding someone to help us when we get stuck as a family. It's we all have needed to have help from outside, to have someone who can step back further than we can at times. At times we can, we can get there ourselves. Or, and here's the little footnote for me from this week. Sometimes our children can do that <laughs> better than we can. And they may not, it may be hard for us to recognize when they're actually doing it better than we are. Does anyone know what I mean? they actually may come in with a little more space to a situation than we might. 
So I also wanted to introduce you to um, Prajnaparamita, the, the, this image that's sitting beside the Buddha is Prajnaparamita, the, the mother of all Buddhas. And the, um, the, the practice that she brings is one of holding these pairs of opposites. She's the one who understands that there's a male image and a female image, and there's also no male and no female. So she's the both and, the place of there is no separate self. We're all part of the same unfolding reality. And there are these separate selves with personal stories. There's the personal and there's the universal. And so that quality of of holding um, is embodied those teachings are embodied in this particular image which we have chosen for our meditation hall to sit beside the Buddha to, to embody that quality of, of wisdom which the Buddha awakens to. That's how she becomes the, seen as the mother because she is the one who uh, gives birth to Buddhas. That wisdom is what gives birth to Buddha, to the Buddha or to any one of us as we awaken. There's a few things about the pairs of opposites. There's a a teaching about that that is very important to me. And I'm glad to know that I have a a reason, programmatically, thematically, to bring it in. And that's the, um, the Buddhist teaching about greed, anger, and delusion, which when I first heard those words, I was about 22, I thought it was kind of an archaic language, greed. Why do we need to be talking about greed? Couldn't we translate that a little more refined way, some light, a little more light or easier to take? Well, now that I'm older, what I notice is that greed, anger, and confusion are actually the energies that are keeping the world uh, turning around. They are making the world the way it is. It's shocking, but true. So what is important for us is that we start to understand the possibility of taking those unconscious energies, which we actually call poisons, the three poisons, that when we bring those unconscious energies into consciousness, into awareness, they actually are energy, and their nature is that they will change that they will transform into wisdom. And so they don't need, we do not need to be in opposition, but we need to bring, be the one uh, who, is, who has the tools to bring into that situation some presence, some spaciousness, some open awareness, some conscious awareness that can begin to allow that energy to become more relaxed, to actually relax. One of my teachers says, the, the, um, the point of all practice is the relaxation of duality, the relaxation of separation, of all the ways that we separate from each other, from ourselves, the places we 
separate from ourselves. The point of all practice is the relaxation of those solidifications, those ways we solidify and separate and become um, identified with this or that. So we all tend to specialize in one of these energies. So I specialize in the the spacey, confused energy. (laughs) But the good news is that in my good moments, what that particular energy, the kind of wisdom that that energy transforms into is spacious. It's spaciousness. A quality of wisdom that has the flavor of spaciousness. That was really, really helpful to me to find out that my worst nightmare, which is that I get confused when I don't know what to do, or when I get confused, I get confused. I don't know where you go. Doesn't everybody get confused? I get confused. But others of us have other specialties. Some of us, when we don't know what to do, or we get confused, or we're scared, we get angry. Or we get, like, really, like, mm, graspy. The whole greed, ang- greed, anger, delusion, energy, it's all either, it's, it's either holding on, it's pushing away, or it's spacing out. So we all have all of those energies, but we tend to move in one direction or another. And so to just know that each one of these energies transforms, anger transforms with awareness into a, a beautiful clarity, a quality of wisdom that has a lot of clarity. You might have noticed that people who are really sharp and clear can also get really angry. <laughs> um, and so, and the, the greed energy also has a way of transforming into a beautiful quality of wisdom that is, uh, can be very um, generous. And um, so there's, there's a lot of ways to understand these, how these energies move. Uh, and different traditions have slightly different ways of, of describing that. But the point is that we may still be angry about something. But just by naming it, but just by bringing, up and bringing in enough awareness to name it, there's be the beginnings of the possibility of relaxing enough to let go of that solidification, that, that way in which we've suddenly become this solid thing in the room and everybody else is at the effect of us. So our roles as parents is to hold this kind of um, possibility of bringing in presence, bringing in consciousness in the face of these energies. Um, to be able to say, ah, confusion, I see you. You know, oh, fear. As soon as I know, oh, this is fear. It, it, it softens something, it relaxes something in me. As soon as I have a name for it. And this is just what we do in our meditation practice. And I, I think that this, this tool of naming the energies, which in our meditation practice we call noting, especially with the energy, with these strong, powerful emotions, it's really helpful to be able to give the name. And sometimes we're embarrassed to find how deeply confused or angry or attached we are, attached in the grasping, greedy sense. We are not 
happy about that. And we have a tendency to, mm, well, I'm not really that angry, <laughs> but we are. So to be willing to name it already softens something, some of that resistance to telling the truth. <sighs> yeah. Because in that moment we realize this is not who I really am. This is an energy that's passing through me. This is not who I am. This is not my essential nature. It's an energy. And right now it's manifesting as anger and it's separating me from my loved ones. And I need to give it some space before I act on it, before I do anything. I need to do my best to take some space because it probably will not come out as wisdom for a little while. (laughs) And so as soon as that identification is broken, oh, anger, I see you. Oh, confusion. Okay, I'm still confused. I have no idea how to get out of this, but at least I know that's what's happening. And so I give myself the time and space that it takes. So the energy is still here. It's energy. I can feel it. I can breathe with it. And I can begin to give it space. And then I feel a little safer. Everyone else feels a little safer. And we can start to begin to see whatever way we may have separated from each other. That's really what the suffering is that comes from these energies that we have separated. So, so much more to say about this, and if you want to hear more, come to some retreats. (laughs) His core teachings. And it's so relevant to our lives as parents. Ah. So um, I just have a couple of short stories that are kind of my core teachings for my life as a parent. Um, One of the reflections which has kept me honest and which has kept me aware of what is is at stake is the um, classic story about um, someone coming to Ajahn Chah. And uh, this is someone who had been uh, sitting and listening to his teachings, Ajahn Chah's teacher, the uh, teacher of uh, Ajahn Amra's lineage, and um, great forest master. Many, many people came to see him. Some of us had the opportunity of being with him when he visited this country, and many people have also uh, visited and been uh, in his lineage and. Um, through generations. So he's really the, the Maha teacher of the lineage. And so one day, some people came to him who had been 
um, uh, listening to his teachings, and someone asked him, how can you be happy? He was very happy. He was very joyful, as great masters tend to be. <laughs> and said, um, how can you be so happy in a world of such impermanence where you cannot, pra- you cannot protect your loved ones from harm, from illness, from death? How can you be so joyful in a world like this? Because sitting with him and hearing the teachings, they had awakened to this reality. Oh my gosh, it's, it's unpredictable. We actually don't know what will happen next. And so Ajahn Chah held up a glass, his water glass. And he said, someone gave me this glass. I really like it. It holds my water admirably. It glistens in the light. This one actually does. It's not plastic as usual. (laughs) It's actually beautiful. The water, the, the light coming through the water. He said, I can touch it and it rings. I didn't try that out. (laughs) I think I have to hold it like this. It actually does. He said, one day the wind may knock this from the shelf or my elbow may knock it from the table and it might break. He said, I know that this glass is already broken. And so I can enjoy it incredibly. So I know that the nature of life is that I don't know what will happen next. And so I can, in the, to the degree that I can know that, I can more completely be not worrying about what will be happening next. But I can be in the moment, enjoying the moment with my child, with all of you, because I know that it's changing. That is its nature. That is the nature of life. Just like life, our children are changing. That is their nature. There's one more story that is my other teaching story for my life as a parent. And... um, And uh, it happened when I, we, we were, my uh, partner at the time and I were considering the possibility of having a child. We were both pretty old in our late 30s. I was actually 40 um, by the time Sophie was born. I was 43. <laughs> I was really old, sort of a grandmother-type mother. And um, so we were, it was a big choice. It was a big decision. But somehow this impulse to have a child had become very strong 
And I was really confused by it. I'd never even considered it, but all of a sudden I was like, oh no, I haven't had a child yet. <laughs> so it was that, um, that, that cartoon. <laughs> um, and, um, but it wasn't a cartoon, it was, it was really serious. We were really confused about what to do. And so during the time we were trying to decide um, whether to get married and quickly have a child, <laughs> um, we, we got uh, notice that Stephen and Andrea Levine were giving a, a workshop, a, a weekend workshop, which they used to do a lot in, um, in Oakland in big you know, Masonic temples. Maybe 500 people would get together and... Um, for a weekend, and uh, the theme was always, was almost always grieving and dying because that was that was what they were teaching. And so it was Phil. It, we went there, and it, we never thought of this having anything to do with our question about having a child. So, was anyone ever in any of those teachings with Stephen and Andrea? Yeah, a few people. Very powerful. Um, Stevens and Andrea have an amazing way of holding a space. They aren't teaching anymore, and it's been many years, so there aren't so many people who are in those uh, teachings with them, but they really had some magical way of holding that almost uh, anything could come up, and you never knew what would come up next. But people would line up at the mic to go, come up and talk about their loss and their grief and and the so the space was a space of holding grief grief and loss and so halfway through the morning a woman came to the mic and she said i had a child and when my child was 2 she died and she said that was the real beginning of my spiritual path And she went on to talk about what had happened to her through this experience. And there was some dialogue with Stephen. And, and then it was lunchtime. And we, my uh, partner, Jonathan, and I looked at each other. And we just looked at each other. And it was like, that was it. That was the question we had to ask ourselves. We had, that was what we had to face, that reality. Because we both, for different reasons, knew that is the truth of life, that there is no telling what will happen. We can't know. If we have a child, that child might die. Worst case scenario, that's true. And we both knew it in our, you know, down inside. For me, it was because I'd been a Buddhist for 20 years. And for him, it was much more primal. His, his father died when he was in utero. He never knew his father. So this reality of death was in our core knowing, but we had not discussed it. We had not named that reality. The nature of life was so in us, and yet we hadn't, in this conversation about having a child, turned to face the most difficult possibility that we could imagine. So what's true about this reality? And in some ways, I think it's, it's one of the reasons that I'm still in this tradition, because it's named so clearly. The truth 
of the nature of life is named right up front. We don't pretend that all is easy. And what's true about that for me is that it is both liberating and terrifying at the same time. So there is a pair of opposites for you. It's liberating because I'm not, I don't spend all my time worrying about the possibility that something might happen. Because I know anything could happen. I don't know what will happen. And, at the, and so there's a certain liberation in that. And the reality of that is also with me. And so there's a kind of terrifying real, facing of the reality of the pain. I, it doesn't mean I don't feel terrified at times when my daughter is doing something that's, that's puts, that, that pushes me to my edge. So, for example, this morning, you might have noticed, as soon as we started talking about sweat lodges and, you know, uh, for some reason, for, well, you know, I have a list of things that, that, for my child, it was an edgy thing for me the first time she went into a sweat lodge. And she's not in the sweat lodge today, but I was sitting here feeling, oh, that's what I feel. It's like this, we are offering them a ritual that is like facing life and death. They're in there with this, with this strong, right now, they're in a very challenging situation where they're really facing in whatever way they choose to, whether they choose to stay, to go, to go in or not to go in, to be uh, in, a, in a moon lodge. They all have lots of choices to make, but they're facing something that's quite real, there's a certain reality to what they're experiencing that, it, that I, I feel, I always have felt when it's, when it's up, it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is life and death. This is my daughter facing something real. And I'm not in between her and that challenge. It's her. She's on the line. She gets to have her own experience. Ultimately, our children have their own karma. And, um, you know, so the, the Buddhist way of understanding this is that we are part of their karma, but we are not their karma. They have their own karma. A beautiful song that Betsy sang the first morning. We're part of their karma, but we are not their karma. And that experience of allowing them to have their lives and to be on the edge all the time about, you know, have I set the boundary appropriately? Have I, been, have I done enough to protect her? And then to know I have to let it go. I can't really know the answer. It's an awesome spiritual practice which we are in together as parents. So I think I'd just like to take a few minutes to invite you to close your eyes and feel the impact of these stories and and how it feels in whatever way you 
are in the truth of this, the breaking through to the truth of the nature of life, is that everything is changing, is uncertain. And if we can move into the larger space, taking that step back that just knows that, just knows that. You don't have to go to the worst case scenario about what can happen. To know that we're on an edge and we can be with this reality by resting, relaxing into the larger space. The space that holds all of it. And from that that larger space where you begin to rest in yourself and feel the wisdom of what you know about life. And where you rest in the love that you have for your child, your children. And notice how this wisdom actually helps your heart be more open, more wise, and in some way more relaxed about what your part is in all this. It's so much bigger than what any of us can do. And that place of knowing that we are always doing our best And as we we notice how old our children are now and how quickly they've gotten to be the age they are, and imagining into the future, maybe 10 years, as long as you need to go, for some of us it's much shorter than that, until our children are more on their own, they're not needing us to do everything for them anymore, they're in whatever way they are on their own. To realize how quickly that will come. And even if you can't imagine that, I want to ask you this question. For, for where we are now, what is the most important thing for us to give our children.
we might ask the question, what kind of field did they grow up in? What kind of field are we providing for them now? And is there any adjustment we might want to make? Some intention we might want to make And feeling that in your body, feeling the, the power of and the possibility that we have something important to transmit. There's a transmission to be made. It's energetic. It's a heart-centered. It's something about if we are living in our wisdom, in our understanding of the nature of life, It puts everything into perspective. And all the choices and particulars of the day-to-day choices and decisions we have to make, it may be possible for us to relax a little more, to see those moments in perspective, in the larger perspective. that what we have to give to them may have more to do with being than doing. Spaciousness in which they can unfold trust in which their essential nature can blossom. May it be so. I think we might have a couple of minutes for anything you might want to share about that, any discoveries you made when you step back, perhaps, about what's important or some intention that comes to you. Or anything else, we just uh, open up. Colleen. She's already grown and you're already gone. That's the big picture. Yeah. Ah. Victoria. 
Yes. Yeah, so then the choices come from the larger picture of not only what's best for our child, but what allows us to be the parent we want to be. And so sometimes the limit setting is, is because we're, we need that. We need that. Thank you. Catherine. Yes. Right. So your child has experienced uh, the direct experience of death, and so for her, there may be more need for the reassurance that you're here for her, and and yet not denying that death is part of life. And so, what a great practice for you to hold that that to be on that line all the time with her, of not denying or pretending. Yeah, I remember one time when I was, before I had a child, I was sort of my learning to be a mom thing was living with a one-year-old for a while. And I, we were, lived out in the country in Massachusetts. And uh, one day we were walking down the uh, driveway, which is a long dirt road, and we came upon a dead bird. A, I saw a dead bird and I thought, oh, I have to sort of keep Gabriel over here so that he doesn't have to see that dead bird. And then I thought, Julie... This is it. This is the opportunity. And I remember that moment of, of both wanting to, bo- to so- sort of soften, be softly, you know, reassuring, yes, this is, a, this is death. And, and to stay with him in that, rather than to feel my, you know, to go with my own fear, which was, you know, kind of how I was raised. Well, let's don't talk about that. Um, so, yes, you have a fabulous opportunity. So glad that you named that and hard because of the balance and, and because she'll need reassurance in so many ways and she'll come out with, you know, um, she'll be asking for reassurance in ways that it'll be hard to recognize sometimes, probably. Like being angry, like, you're going to be dead anytime. <laughs> That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough to hold yourself in the face of, of her. But of course she's angry. She's been moved around a lot in her very short life, right? So, 
you know, of course she's angry. So to be able to say she's angry, to name that, you don't need to dwell on that, but I think maybe even to name it for her. Oh, yeah, you must be angry about that. You know, and I'm here for you. It's very interesting and challenging. Yeah. We all have a different version of, of how to, what we have to do with this. So, thank you. Thank you all. And I have just a couple of announcements, and then Ruby needs to give us the end of retreat announcements. I'm sorry, Betsy. Betsy. Okay. So, uh, please announce that the third and fourth grade group will sign out at the dining hall. They will be offering lunch to the monastics who are now bowing out. Also, to um, check with you about quiet hours, how are the how was the night last night? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. The what? Uh huh. Opaca's <laughs> a little noisy. Okay. Anything else? It didn't keep you awake? Okay, the, the revelry didn't keep you awake. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.